0: As you have a seat, I want to encourage you to grab your Bibles, flip to Proverbs chapter 4 if you do not have a Bible. It'll be on the screen behind us. Last week we started a new series called Foolproof, right? Living with wisdom in a world of chaos. And listen, I know what you we are surrounded by. I know what's going on in culture. I understand what you face. I hear your heartache. I hear your struggles. I hear your burdens. But most of all, I want you to know that God hears those as well, you know, and so one of the things as we run into this series is that we're going to dig into scripture and honestly ask ourselves, like, what's it mean to live a life of wisdom? How do I live with wisdom in a world of chaos? Um, you know, I we recently sat down and had a conversation with my son about finances yesterday Uh, just a little bit for us to understand or begin to see some reality of what goes on. You know, as you try and explain wisdom to people, oftentimes you look and you go, well, I'm I'm not as bad as such and such. And the problem becomes when we compare ourselves to other people, when instead of comparing ourselves or looking at our own lives through the lens of Scripture. You know, I always use it this way that I need to have a biblical worldview, not only of my finances, but on everything else that goes on around me. Like, I've got to look at my life internally, spiritually, and to see where I'm at. And then I also have to look at what's going on around me. I need to look at what's going on in my family. I need to look at what's going on in my finances. I need to look at what's going on in my marriage, what goes on at work, and things like that through the lens of Scripture. So, just like I can't see very well without my glasses in order to read. All of us need to have the lens of the Bible in order to see things in what we would say would be God's way of how he sees things, what goes on. Um, And so today, we're going to be dealing with fathers, but I also want us to say it from this way. Really, we're going to be talking about what it means to be or to live the call of a courageous life as a parent. As an individual, and listen, you may or may not still be a father. Maybe you're still a father, but your kids have grown and gone out of the house. This doesn't mean or doesn't say, hey, this isn't applicable to you. Today's sermon, I believe, is very much applicable to everybody in every form and fashion, no matter where you're at. Maybe even as a person who says, I don't know that I really believe what you are going to talk about. I struggle with this whole Jesus thing. That's okay. Okay. But we're going to dig in. We're going to look at Proverbs chapter 4. We're going to jump throughout the whole chapter. I'm not going to read all of it, but we're going to read portions and sections of it throughout. So I'm going to start in Proverbs chapter 4, starting at verse 1. We're going to read for just a little bit, and then we're going to jump in, and we'll cover the rest of the text as we go. Listen to what he says. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1. If you want, you can stand with me as we read, um, and then you'll have a seat real quick behind you as we're done. Listen to chapter 4, verse 1. Starts off with this, listen, my sons, we can even throw that into a certain extent, my daughters, to a father's instruction, pay attention and gain understanding. I give sound learning so you do not forsake my teaching. When I was a boy in my father's house, still tender and only a child of my mother, he taught me, that's his father, and he taught me and said, lay hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. Why? Because wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. Esteem her, and she will exalt you. Embrace her, and she will honor you. She will set garland of grace on your head and present, or, and present you with a crown of of splendor. Listen, my son, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. I will guide you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. You can have a seat. Gene Red Irwin embodied the courage of a warrior. Red was part of the 11-man crew on board the city of Los Angeles, which was a B-29 Superfortress. And for those of you who may be into military history, pictures automatically might be coming to mind. But on April 12, 1945, as he was part of a bombing run, the city of Los Angeles was part of a bombing raid on a Japanese chemical plant. One of Red's jobs was to launch white phosphorus smoke bombs to help the other planes on the raid identify targets as well as to follow the city of Los Angeles. And Red had done this many times before. He knew the drill. He would open the chute He'll pull the pin, releasing the canisters, and eight seconds later, the bombs would ignite clear of the aircraft. But for some unknown reason, as he went through this drill, the first bomb exploded in the drum chute and came back into the hull of the B-29. Now, for those of you who don't realize what white hot phosphorus is, the smoke fills the cabin, and these bombs burn at over 1,500 degrees Fahrenheit. And this bomb went off inside the cabin, filling the cabin of the plane with smoke, and in disregard for his own health and safety, while this bomb began to burn through the bulkhead where the real bombs were going to be at. So in other words, if that bomb had burned through the bulkhead into the bombs, the superfortress would have been destroyed in midair. But in disregard for his own health and safety, Red grabbed the 1500 degree phosphorus bomb, and ran toward the cockpit. Where while he was struggling to get to the cockpit, ran into the navigator's table. In the midst of trying to dislodge or disconnect the spring on the navigator's table so he could lift it up, he grabbed the bomb and held it between his chest and his arm, got the navigator's table up, made his way to the cockpit, and threw it out the co-pilot's window into the ocean. As the pilot came out of the dive... Red fell backwards and collapsed. In the midst of that collapse, everybody began to see exactly what happened. The smoke cleared. They pulled up at 300 feet. They pulled out of their dive, and Staff Sergeant Irwin, or Red is what what he was known as, was given the Presidential Medal of Honor because his heroism was above and beyond the call of duty to save the lives of his soldiers, his brothers in that cockpit. And now while you may look at that and go, well, that's great. What's that got to do with me? What I want to lay out is this, that fathers and mothers and parents, your children are in direct line for the attacks of the enemy. And we need now more than ever today, parents who are willing to grab the white hot phosphorus bombs. Of the enemy and do whatever it takes to get it out of the cockpit, to get them away from the attacks that the enemy is, is dishing out so that they could stand firm and strong and healthy and to move forward into what God has called them to be. Make no mistake about it. We are at war. We are not at war with other individuals, but we are at war with Satan. We are at war with the evils and the principalities of what goes on in the world today. And I want you to know that our kids are under attack. Our families are under attack. General Douglas MacArthur said it this way, and I love what he said. He was asked about the difference between being a a soldier and being a father. And listen to what he says. He says, by profession, I'm a soldier. And I take pride in that fact. But I am more proud, infinitely prouder, to be a father. A soldier destroys in order to build while the father builds and never destroys. The one has the potentiality of death, and the other embraces and embodies creation and life. And while the hordes of death are mighty and the attacks of the enemy are relentless, the battalions of life are mightier still. I want to say this, that I think it is the call to courageous living that parents need to step up to. That we have to make the decisions and we have to learn to lead and we have to be willing to take the ultimate price or pay the ultimate price in order to protect our children and our kids so that they can move forward into the future that God has called them. We are living in a time when men and fathers are under attack more than they've ever been before. Matter of fact, we're being attacked by the deceiver himself. And I want you to make no mistake about it, that Satan is on the attack in order to, to even attack this idea of gender and what's going on. See, what the world needs now is men who aren't afraid to grab those white hot phosphorus bombs of the enemy and to lay their lives on the line to fight for, listen, to fight for our fortress. The B-29 is the super fortress and we are fighting for our fortresses in our families, and our homes. Make no mistake about it, it is here, it has come. One of the biggest needs in our generation today is for men to step into the lives of children and to train them, to equip them, and to cheer them to grow up and follow the Lord in every area of their lives. And while I can sit back and say this, the desire is that. That men would rise to the occasion That we would say, hey, we're not going to sit silently by and watch as things go on, but we're going to step up and we're going to lead our families and lead them well. Listen, I I think about Scripture constantly or often, and I I think about, if you know anything about the Old Testament, the story of Samuel. Samuel is dedicated by his mom, Hannah, in the the beginning of chapter uh, 1 of Samuel. But I want you to go on and know this, that Eli later, Eli, the, the priest, His own sons were wicked. And so there is a point where we can miss out on what's going on because we so focus on our own things and our own lives that we miss out on investing in and loving on and serving and showing our kids how to follow Jesus day in and day out. And please make no mistake about it. If you do that, if you miss out on the role that you play in this, that is a great likelihood there's, there's a possibility that your children will walk away. I believe this wholeheartedly. How a father goes is how the home goes. And I'll even say it even just a little bit further from this standpoint. How the men in the church go is how the church will always go. to given. That is nothing against women. Please hear me out. Women, you are loved, you are cared for, you are passionate. We love the fact that we have women who are leading out in ministries, who do well, who are strong, who who follow God day in and day out. But I want to say this, men, as a challenge for all of us is that we lead and we lead well, we lead with great grace, not out of superiority. Not out of domineering dictatorship, but out of the grace that Jesus talked about, the sacrificial love that Jesus showed us. So here's the big idea today. If you get anything, I want you to remember this, that the Christian parent is an instrument in God's hands to mold and steward God's gift in our children. The Christian parent is an instrument in God's hands to mold And to steward God's gift in our children. In other words, you are given the gift and the ability to mold, to form, to fashion, and steward the gift that God gave you in your children. Now, I say this cautiously because most men will deny it, but men struggle with directions. Like we were having this conversation last week. You put directions or instructions in something to build, and what do most men do? throw it away. (laughs) It's like, why would I do that? Why would I? I don't need directions, right? Like, I I remember at times, if my wife was here, she would tell you, I remember at times being like, like, this is obviously pre-Google Maps days on your phone, right? I think we're lost. Well, why don't you pull over and ask for directions? No, I think I can figure it out. And she'd sit there and go, Okay. (laughs) And I might figure it out, it might have taken me an hour to figure it out when I could have stopped for directions and only taken me five minutes, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm cautious to say that because, listen, men struggle with directions. We struggle with asking for help or even, listen, opening up about what we face or what we struggle with or what we do. We seem to think that it's vital for our manly persona to be tough and to do it all on our own when the scripture lays it out wholeheartedly that we're not to be that way that we need to have other people. So listen, good intentions aren't enough when it comes to raising our kids. You may have good intentions, but it is not enough just to have good intentions. Heck, I have good intentions when I don't ask for directions. I have good intentions when I don't follow instructions but it doesn't mean that I'm going to accomplish what I'm supposed to accomplish if I don't do what I need to do to make the right thing. Every parent starts with good intentions, but it doesn't take long to seem like you've been set up for failure. Anybody ever been there? I remember my, asking my dad a question not too long after we became a parent. And I said, hey, I need some help with this parenting thing. And he said, when you figure it out, let me know. And I went, wait a second. You parented me. And he goes, yeah, I was pretty sure I screwed you up. (laughs) And I was like, that's not very encouraging. (laughs) So you're telling me, sit down, shut up, and hold on. And he goes, no, kind of, yeah, maybe that's what I am telling you. And it's like, wow, all right, thanks. Listen, parenting is not easy. Parenting is hard. Parenting is difficult. You love your kids, but sometimes they do things you don't want them to do, right? Sometimes you look and you go, what the heck are you doing? Why did you do that? Why did you act that way? I want to give us today four things that I believe come out of here in Proverbs chapter four, four building blocks that I think we have to focus on in our kids. But as we focus on them in our kids, they have to be in your life first and foremost because you can't give to your kids what you don't have in your own. You cannot give to your kids what you don't possess yourself. So here are four building blocks that I believe we see in Proverbs chapter 4 that will lay out how we can raise children who are going to follow Jesus no matter the cost. Number one is this. Building block number one. Godly character matters. Notice I didn't just say character matters. There are lots of people who have great character who are not followers of Jesus. Godly character matters. That is what he's trying to lay out when Solomon is writing this to his sons. He says, listen, my sons, to a father's instruction and pay attention and get, or gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. And he goes on and he talks about this idea of what godly character is. Verse 11, I guide you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. Godly character matters. It's important for us. Why? Because wisdom doesn't come naturally to our kids. Did you know that? Matter of fact, I would venture to say this wisdom doesn't come naturally to us, wisdom is learned. That's what it talked about last week. That's what it even says this, right? Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Godly character matters, and godly character is taught, it is learned, it is followed. And we can't, as parents, expect our kids to do what we don't do already on our own. Matter of fact, I saw this quote, it's an unknown quote, but it says this, a boy without a father figure is, an explorer, is like an explorer without a map. Kind of goes right back to what we were talking about, right? <laughs> like a son or a daughter, I'm not even going to say it this way, I believe wholeheartedly that it's based upon what's going on in our society because men have become under attack. Because fathers are attacked relentlessly. Because our world begins to say it's okay the way we want to go and the way we want to act and what we believe. When that came down to that problem, what we see is a downgrade, a downplay of the importance of fathers in the lives of children. And what's funny is we want to deny science. We always talk about science until science disproves a theory. But science has said over and over and over again, crime rate, poverty, all of these things are a result of a lack of fathers in the house. And the only way to change that is for you to become the father that maybe you never had. And you may say, I don't know what to do. Great. Guess what? Scripture will lay that out for you. Because a father needs to be a person of godly character. Why? Because godly character matters. And I want to train my child, every one of my children in the fear and the knowledge of the Lord. Do you know that it is not as complicated as we oftentimes try and make it to raise our kids to know and to love Jesus? Do you want to know why? Because all you got to do is spend some time reading scripture daily with them. See, in America, we got to make it all about like 12 steps, right? We've gotten so used to AA and all these recovery aspects that go on that we're like, got to do this and 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 this. Read scripture, apply scripture, and do it with your kids. We got this great thing out there called here. Everybody can read the Bible. I read a text, I highlight what stood out, I explain it by asking questions. What is he talking about? Who is he talking about? Why is he talking about that? And if you don't know, hey, guess what? We can talk about it. You can email any of us on staff. You can email some of our small group leaders. There's all kinds of ways you can go about doing it. And you don't know? It's all right. I start to look for wisdom. And then I apply it. Highlight, explain, apply, and respond. I apply the truth of God's word to my life, day in and day out. So that, why? Because godly character matters in my life. It matters wholeheartedly. Why? Because character is who you are when no one's looking. I said this last week at our leadership thing. Character is who you are when no one's looking. And not everyone, not every wrong thing that our kids do is in direct rebellion against authority. Oftentimes, it's just a lack of character. ever thought about that? Like me as a disciplinarian, I don't oftentimes think about things like that. I'm like, oh, they're rejecting authority. Sometimes it's just the simple fact that your kids lack character and it needs to be developed. And that character, as you're training them, begins to pull out or play out in your life. But listen, with character comes the responsibility in making the right and wise choices. Our choices in front of our children teach our kids a whole lot about what we believe about God. What I choose to say, what I choose to do, what I choose to watch, how I respond to somebody who thinks differently than me. All of those things speak volumes to our children about character. And godly character matters. That's building block number one. So if we're, uh, the idea would be building a foundation or building a a house, the first side of that's going to be building block number one, which is godly character. Building block number two is this, relational priorities. Relational priorities. Look at verse 18. Actually, I want to start in verse 14. It says, do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evil men. Avoid it, do not travel on it, turn from it and go on your way. For they cannot sleep till they do evil. They're robbed of slumber till they make someone fall. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But then listen to what he says in verse 18. The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter till the full day of light. The path of the righteous is like the morning sun when it comes up. And it gets brighter and brighter as the sun continues to rise. But the way of the wickedness is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. When I talk about relational priorities, I want you to know this. Your first priority is always to the Lord as a parent. Always. Now, this is the struggle that oftentimes comes as a result of what goes on in the lives of fathers, and how most fathers would rather be out on the lake than at the church. There's relational priority number one. There's a problem. Fathers, your children will follow you. If you make church a priority in your life, church will be a priority in your kids' lives. If you make church an addition, like, ah, we can go every now and then, then it's going to be an addition to your kids. And I'll venture to say this, that most likely your kids will walk away. And so when I talk about this, my relationship with the Lord needs to be primary number one, right? But then my relationship with other people needs to be secondary. It's this whole idea of a vertical relationship and my horizontal relationships. And here's the kicker. My relational priorities are never going to be in line if my vertical relationship is not priority number one. And here's the reason why. Because when God comes to me and says, hey, you were a jerk, you need to go to that person and confess because you were a jerk, and I say, the heck with you, I'm not listening to you. There's problem number one, right? I have a problem in my relationship with God, so I'm going to say, the heck with that. I'm not confessing my sins. I'm not going to confess I did anything wrong. And so all I do is continue to build bitterness and vengeance and anger between the people that are going on right here. And so relational priorities matter. Why? Because if I want to have my primary relationship with God first, then I'm going to see this, right? That the path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn. That as I walk in obedience to what God has done, it's going to be this glimmer when the sun pops up and it begins to chase off the darkness. Y'all know what it's like to sit up and watch a sunrise? Some of the most beautiful things I've ever seen were sunrises. Being out on the ocean and all you can see is water for miles. And that sun pops up over the horizon and it begins to chase off that darkness. Beautiful. I remember being at the top of Haleakala, Anybody ever been there in Hawaii? We got to go there one time, and we rode these bikes down from the top of Haleakala. We got up at like 2 o'clock in the morning in Hawaii and Maui, and we took this van ride all the way to the top of Haleakala, and then you take this, this bike ride down. And I'll never forget that sun peeking over the horizon. Thought we were on Mars. Not joking. Top of Haleakala, it looks like you're on Mars. This is like this reddish brown dirt everywhere. That's all you see. You're like, i on Mars? but here's what's crazy. That sun continues to rise, and what happens? It gets brighter and brighter, and that's what it says the path of the righteous is like. That as you and I walk in obedience to what God has called us to do, as we continue to walk in righteousness, guess what happens? The pathway gets brighter and brighter and our kids begin to see the goodness of what it means to walk in righteous living. And as they see that, they begin to follow it. But listen, if you continue to walk in the way of darkness, this is what he says, the way of the darkness is like, it's like, or the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They don't know what makes them stumble. We've all been in that situation before, right? You're in some place dark, you stub your toe on a chair, or maybe you're out in the, the wilderness and you're looking to try and find hope and direction in whatever way you can find it. When I walk the path of righteousness, first and foremost allowing my relationship with God to be first, and my relationship with my kids and everybody else second, and I invest in them based upon that truth, then I show them relational priorities. I teach them the importance of that. You know Ephesians chapter six verse four says, "Fathers do not exasperate your children." Colossians 3:21 says, "Fathers do not embitter your children." I think sometimes the reason those things become the issue is usually because we haven't taught our kids correctly. We teach them, and then we act completely opposite. My relational priorities have to be an advantage, And listen, as a parent, do not buy the lie that if you love your kids, you will accept their choices in life. Relational priorities matter. When I say that we are under attack, I make no mistakes about it, that we are under attack. That conservative ideologies amongst Christian believers are under attack because we have this mentality that God would not discipline or God would not do things or God would not allow things in a person's life when I want you to know this, that when sin is evident in your life, you're always going to, do, to feel like you need to choose the direction of sin. Why? Because it's tempting. It's tantalizing. It's the way it is. And I want you to know this. When we talk about relational priorities, God doesn't make mistakes. You are who you are because God created you to be that way. I don't care what society tells you. And when I say relational priorities matter, here's the struggle with most of our teenagers and most of our younger adults. We allow people on the outside to influence us more than we allow God to influence our lives. That's what's going on right now. The whole movement of what is going on in our current culture—a matter of fact, even what's going on with this whole celebration this month—is based upon the outside pressures of Satan working in the lives of our kids, and society saying, "Yeah, it's okay." It's not okay. And listen, you can struggle with those feelings, you can struggle with emotions like that. But I want you to know this: sin is sin. We all have our own sins. We all have our own struggles. It doesn't mean I continue to walk in the the freedom to say, I'm just going to disobey and disagree with what God says. It's never okay. Matter of fact, it says that God disciplines those he loves. And likewise, a father or mother who loves their kids will teach the truth of God's word. Now, when I talk about discipline, most of us are probably thinking, that means I got to whoop them into shape. Discipline just means that you don't have to accept a lifestyle you love your kids. Please hear me out. This is, not, this is not an isolation. This is not a, hey, we're not going to put up with you anymore. Hey, we're not going to hang out with you. Hey, we're not going to... This is a wholehearted, 100%. We love you with the grace of Jesus. We love you because we're your parents. But I don't have to disagree with everything that you do. And that brings me to building block number three. We said building block number one is godly character. Number two is relational priorities. Number three is this. Our kids need to know their identity in Christ. Look at verse 23. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. When I talk about this idea of guarding your heart, I want you to understand this and play this out that you and I have to guard what is going on in our heart because make no mistake about it, the Bible is very clear, our hearts are deceptive above all things. Who can understand it? And here's what's going on today. Oh, I go and find somebody else who thinks like me and they're going to tell me, yeah, your feelings, they're justified and you need to change who you are. No? your heart is deceptive above all things. Your heart is going to mislead you. My heart back in high school told me that I need to date this girl. Only problem was this girl wasn't a believer. And I'll tell you wholeheartedly as I go back to it, man, I'm so glad I didn't date that girl. I'm so glad I didn't ever marry that girl. Why? Because my heart was deceiving me to think that I needed love. That heart was deceiving me and thinking that I needed that satisfaction that would come with being with this particular individual. And the reality is that God said, hey, listen, don't be unequally yoked. When you're unequally yoked, we're going to set myself up for failure. Why? Why? because we're not going to think the same way. We're not going to raise our kids the same way. We're not going to go down that same direction. We're going to have different standards, different morals, different values. Everyone is born with a unique identity. But listen, your identity and how God created you still has this problem. It's called a sin nature. The Bible's very clear about it. And it's a very easy thing for me to do, right? Like, I want to sin, It's natural in my life to want to sin. And the Bible says very clearly, you have to beat your body. You make it submissive to God's word. So in other words, I have to take responsibility for that and say, I know my weaknesses. I know my struggles. And my struggle is always going to lead me towards sin when the reality is that God has something greater, something better in store for me. My identity in Christ is built on that, and so I have to, above all else, guard my heart. Did you know that as a believer, if you were to flip to Romans chapter eight, when you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, I want you to listen to this statement. Chapter eight, verse 29, says this. For those God knew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son. Jesus came to conform you into the likeness of His Son. That means to help you overcome your sins, your struggles, your heartaches, your worries, and to be identified and have my identity in Christ and Christ alone. And listen, Jesus as well as ourselves, we are not to allow sin to be the thing that controls our lives. Jesus never gave in. Listen, we're still going to struggle. We're not perfect. We're not Jesus. The Bible is very clear that he who claims to be without sin is a liar and the truth is not in him. So you can't sit back and say, I don't sin because you just did because you just showed you're a liar. So building block number three is my identity in Christ. I need to nail that down. And fathers, your identity has to be firm and secure that you know who God called you to be. Because listen, the the barrage of attacks from the enemy and the lives of our kids is relentless. And we need men and mothers, fathers and mothers who are gonna stand strong and guard your hearts and help your children learn to guard theirs. And building block number four is this. We need to help our children find their godly purpose. I want you to notice godly character, right? That's number one, godly character. Number two is relational priorities, that God is first, others are second. Number three is that my identity is wrapped up in Christ. And number four is this, we need to help our children find their godly purpose. Some may or may not be called to ministry. Some may be called to missions. Some may be called to other things. Some may be called to business manager. Some may be called the banks. Some may be called mechanics or plumbers. Some may be called construction workers, but we need people whose identity is wrapped up in Christ and they can find a purpose in life that as they're doing construction, they can serve others with great, great grace and great gladness. They can show others the joy of Christ and what goes on. See, no man or woman, no son or daughter will understand who he is or what their ultimate purpose is apart from knowing God. You will never feel satisfied. You will never find purpose and direction and meaning in life apart from knowing God first and foremost. You never will. Why? Because mankind is on the relentless hamster wheel idea of pursuing goodness and greatness when the reality is you'll never reach it on your own. Listen to what he says, verse 25. This is where I want to wrap up. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only the ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or to the left, but keep your foot from evil, there's the purpose mentality he's talking about. That I don't swerve to the right or to left. That I don't chase the crazy things that maybe go on in culture and society where they say this is where you find value. Nope, that changed. This is where you're going to find value and meaning. But I can find value and meaning in the godly purpose that God has developed in me. Why? Because whatever it is, whatever your hands and feet find to do, I do it all for the glory of God. So if it's banking, I bank. With God's glory. If it's construction, then I'm doing construction for God's glory. Whatever you find to do, I do it all for God's glory. Why? Because God's glory is what matters. So I help my children find godly purpose. We need more men, more women, more fathers, more mothers who are going to lead in the hallways, in the passageways in the work corridors with obedience to God who are going to stand on the truth, who are going to love others in a great way. I believe this one thing about this generation. And I'm going to say this. I know there's a lot of negativity about what goes on with, with millennials, even Gen Z and all of these things, but I believe this. I do believe the younger generation desires truth. But I also know that Satan is going to work over time. Make no mistake about it, church, that when a church begins to infiltrate darkness, a church is going to have a wall of opposition against it when Satan pours over. And likewise, when families choose to walk in obedience to God you as a family, you as a mother and father, your children are going to have a wave of oppression and depression and anxiety and worry because Satan is going to come at you and he's going to come at you hard. And I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, and I'm not usually a guy who jumps on these political soapboxes, but if, if you haven't seen anything, you've seen it come out of heart heck, the Royals just held a dadgum drag queen parade right at the stadium on Friday night. And if that don't make you sick, as a matter of fact, I would even tell you you need to email, call the Royals, raise a hissy fit. You're gonna let a drag queen show go on inside the gates of Royal Stadium, but you won't let somebody preach the gospel. What is this world coming to? You may say, well, that's separation of church and state. Okay. What happened to separation of sexual, I'm going to force it down your throat and allow a parent to deal with it. Listen, Satan is coming hard. And I want you to know, church, and I believe this, we, we said that COVID was just the beginning to a certain extent for some. I don't think COVID was persecution at all. was it? But I want to be very clear that persecution will come when you make a stand. Persecution will come when you begin to say, hey, I don't believe this is right. It's not biblical. Parents, we need you. Your children need you. Your children need your commitment to godly character, godly integrity, godly wisdom, and to teach them their identity in Christ. God doesn't make mistakes. That's the struggle in the American church today. I believe that wholeheartedly. Because we look and we go, God obviously made a mistake because he took somebody from me and I'm not happy. Death is promised. There's not a single one of us is getting out of death. Every funeral I've done is final. My dad is gone. He's not coming back. All of my grandparents, friends I've lost, they're not making a return. But they can be promised eternal life with Christ. That's the only promise and the only hope you have for a future. The choice is what do you choose? Let's pray. Father, I know that this is not an easy topic. It's not oftentimes easy to even deal with, but God, I thank you for the fathers that you have placed here in our church. I thank you for the mothers who are standing, standing on your word, standing in truth, following you no matter the cost. And God, there may be somebody who struggles today with what we're even talking about, struggles with a lifestyle that doesn't line up with what we say scripture. And God, I want them to know, and I hope they hear our heart, It's not hate. It's not a lack of love. Matter of fact, I think of oftentimes how my life was disciplined by you because you showed me my error and I had to confess my sin and to be put on the right path and to follow you. God, we love you and we thank you. And today, maybe, maybe you're a person who does struggle with those types of things that we're talking about. I want you to know that you are loved and you are cared for. That Jesus died on the cross for your sins and for my sins. And whatever sin that is that we struggle with, whatever it is we deal with, we turn it over to him so that we can walk in the fullness and the abundance of life that Jesus promised us to experience. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.